This is Nikki Toyamasito, the executive director of Christians for Social Action, and your host for 20 Minute Takes. On this episode, we talk with author, actor, and activist Tyler Merritt. He's the author of the book, I Take My Coffee Black Reflections on Tupac, Musical Theater, Faith, and Being Black in America. In this conversation, we talk about the power of proximity, about stories and characters, and what it means to make bridges across great differences. Tyler Merritt, thank you so much for joining us here on 20 Minute Takes. Nikki, what is up? (laughs) I'm so glad to be here. You made quite a a stir when you released a video that says you know, before you call the cops. Can you tell us a little bit about that video? I mean, it went everywhere. You're it on did. Kimmel. It, 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 it was, it's now been viewed over a hundred million times. Oh my I'll goodness. tell you, Nikki, if my mom talks to me about this all the time, she's yeah. like, Tyler, why in the world do you not have a shirt on in this video? Right. <laughs> and I've said <laughs> to my mom, mom multiple saying? times, mom, if I knew a hundred million people were going to see this video, yeah. I would have wore a shirt. <laughs> Like, trust me, I would have put a shirt on if I had known. But um, I think the impact of it, it was originally uh, released in 2018. But then after George Floyd, it went viral a second time and really began to circulate all over the world again. Because I was just simply talking to the um, camera as if I was talking to a person and telling them who I was. And in the first chapter of my book, um, I take my coffee black. There's a chapter called If She Only Knew. And in that first chapter, I talk about if maybe if you knew who I was, if you knew the intricacies of who I am, if you didn't just mark me up as an individual based on what you think I am and what I look like, not only would you love me, but um, knowing me could literally save my life. Because what you don't understand, and, and most people don't understand if they're not black, is you deciding to call the cops on me is not just like, oh, you know, maybe they'll show up and and say hello to me. But based on so many things in the world, that could be a life or death situation. And so in this video, I attempted to try to explain who I was and not because I felt like I had to or that I was trying to um, humanize myself to anyone. But there are just a lot of people out there that don't have the proximity to six foot two dreadlocked black men in their life. So uh-huh. I thought it was important to share. I think it's powerful in its simplicity. You just, all these truth statements um, that you make and uh, yeah, that it's just, it's really powerful. I mean, some of the things that you do mention uh, do connect you to your Christian faith that you lead Sunday school and and that sort of a thing. How much, if at all, did your Christian faith inform or, or spark some of your activism? I'll tell you, um, you know, when I was young, you know, I really felt like the idea of mission work was to go out and just save the world. You know, like it was mission work. If you were going to, like, I've been to Romania, Bulgaria, Hong Kong, China, and in all kinds of formats of serving people. But as I get older, um, that mission becomes more defined, you know, has got, has become more defined for me. And for me, um, a huge part of what I feel God has called me to is to bring proximity to people, 
to allow them to understand that the more you weave people into your life that are different than you are, um, that look different than you, that have different faiths than you, um, that believe all the different things that you are, <clears throat> that uh, the world can change that way. And I, I really do believe over the past mm, probably eight years, especially on social media, we've be- we've began to divide so much. Like you can stay in your own lane with your own people that believe the same thing that you believe, you know? And I happen to, because of how I grew up, have such a wide range of different people in my life. And because of that, I use that to my advantage to begin to try to connect all of them. And so um, I, I feel like it's a calling and a, probably a different calling than when you're, you know, you're younger and you feel like I need to go save the world. But instead it's, it's more of a, when you wake up, what is it that makes you want to move throughout life? And for uh, me, it's connecting yeah. people. That power of proximity. And it just sounds like it's not like a thing you do, but it's sort of um, an ori- a posture that you sort of take to everything, big and small, near and far. That's amazing. Well, I came across you as your book, I Take My Coffee Black was making all these lists of you've got to read and give them this award and give them that award. So, um, and, and the thing that I love is uh, is the subtitle. Because um, you say, I take my coffee black, meditations on Tupac, musical theater, faith, and being black in America. And, and I got to tell you, the musical theater one was the one that made my heart jump and get all excited. Uh, but what an interesting combination of things that you're bringing together in this book. Can you say a little bit more about like, how are those even related? Or is it just in the body of Tyler Merritt? Uh, Well, I talk about this a lot in the book. Well, there's a specific chapter where I talk about sliding doors. It was a movie that um, Gwyneth Paltrow was in years ago and where she could, you know, if she stepped onto a train, she may go one direction. And if she didn't take on the train, her life may go another direction. And I use that sliding doors analogy throughout the entirety of the book because that's really what happened. Here's a great example. In the books, even though it is very deep about being a black person in America and there are parts that are super serious and super transparent, almost uncomfortably transparent sometimes, it's also really, really funny because of who I am and what I like to do in the world. And I also believe that humor can connect us. But a perfectly good example is when I was entering into high school, um, I tried my best to get into a Spanish class. And I tried really hard because one, I was obsessed with girls and I wanted so badly to just like learn another language so I could be like, hola, como esta? (laughs) I really felt that way. And I also thought like, this will be really easy. But what I didn't anticipate is that all of my Mexican, all my Hispanic, Latino friends were going to take that class also because it would be really easy for them. Really easy. (laughs) So I instead got into my second choice, which was the other easy thing, which was theater. Oh, that's (laughs) how you got into Since all of those classes were full, my it's sliding door. I end up going into this theater class. And that theater class ends up shaping the entirety of the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So all of these sliding doors experiences um, that I talk about throughout the book, um, 
And of course, I was grew up in Las Vegas. I was raised around hip hop and all of these things and gospel music because that my parents were into that. Um, I ended up going to a small private Christian college after in high school having experience with God, which is also a sliding doors moment. I mean, really, I'll say this. The audiobook for my book is probably um, the easiest to swallow because how we're talking right now <laughs> yes. is how I, they just let me have my way on it. Like, <laughs> they're just like, go ahead, go ahead. And so I talk on the audiobook the way we're talking now. And so yes. it's like we're yes. walking on this like beautiful journey together through a life. <laughs> Can you say more about what it was like to be a, what it's like to be a black man in musical theater? Oh, man. For one, what can be difficult is, especially especially in musical theater or theater, is they want to people want to place you with, with in places that make sense. For instance, there aren't a lot of professional black people that haven't done "Ain't Misbehaving" or "Once on This Island" or "Porgy and Bess." You know what I mean? Like a very specific black musical, right? Um, but my story with proximity started out really young. In in college, um, one of the professional shows that I worked in, I played Sammy Fong in Flower Drum Song. Now, now so, that last name is telling me that that is not usually played by an African American man. Is that true? <laughs> exactly. I was an Asian um, uh, nightclub owner in the musical Flower Drum Song, which. I was so happy to be a part of a community that were, it was able to take chances in this world, in this world of escapism where we're yeah, playing yeah. and making things up anyways, yeah. to be able to be in an environment where people will want to um, take chances with you is great. But that's not, yeah. that's not always the case. And you still see it on Broadway. Like yeah. it's getting better now. Um, but, uh, you, you know, people have an expectation of what they want to see when they walk into a building Yes. And sometimes that same expectation can kind of impact the arts in a way that's not always the best. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the things to me that's really interesting is about this message that you're embodying and holding about proximity, about kind of bridging across these differences. And you're also, uh, you know, part of your professional life is as an actor that in some ways not necessarily deals with stereotypes but there are quick uh, shorthands for who people are, right, in stories. And so I, that, to me, I, I find that tension that uh, of how you both live in that as well as you're kind of trying to break, you know, break, break that for society as well as it sounds like you're doing some of that in your art. As, well, as well, trust me when I tell you, now that I don't do theater or stage anymore, I do film – for as many times I'll, I'll get a listing for my agent that's like scary man in the hallway. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, and you know, anytime I get a listing like that, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is easy. I'm going to pull my hair down. I'm going to take my, you know, pull out my dreads, let them flow and be this thing. Um, but I also get a lot of other things, you know, that are like the teacher and the love interest and all of those things. And so, you you know, it, and also because I'm I have dreadlocks in the middle of my back, it's um there are lots of roles that I can't read for. Like I I rarely <laughs> I'll be watching TV shows and like all of my black friends with short hair have played a police officer at some point. I have never I don't even get to read for a police officer, you know. <laughs> um, but I get it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I get that we live in a world where people have um kind of expectations as what they think certain people should be and what they look like and. I don't agree with it, but I understand it, which is why I wrote a book kind of talking about the entirety of that. And 
as a black man, those expectations affect our lives in a monumental way. Yeah. No, totally. I mean, so I I appreciate that you are there with that knowledge of both the pressing in as well as the, and this is also how some of this works, you know, but I think there's a reflectiveness in which you're, you're working and pushing that. Can you say more about, is there um, a message in the book that you're hoping, I'm going to say non-Black audiences receive? And then is there a message that you're hoping that your Black readers get from the book? And are those the same or are they different? First, let me say this. Let me deal with the black part first. Um, 100%. There was a message that I was hoping to put out into the world to, to my black brothers and sisters that I actually ended up under anticipating, like how I, well, let me say I underestimated how much of an effect this thing that I was hoping would happen happened. And when I start the book, I dedicate it. The dedication says something to the effect of, we are not monolithic. This is to all of us beautiful people that are so different, this, that, and the other. It was kind of my note to my Black friends, my Black brothers and sisters are saying, like, I'm about to tell you the story, and this story is going to be nuanced. It's going to be, one minute we might be talking about Tupac, or the next minute we might be talking about Bon Jovi. Next minute, we're talking about Gwyneth Paltrow. Next minute, we're talking about Jesus. Like, this is about to be all over the place. And my message to my Black brothers and sisters was, we all know this, but the rest of the world doesn't. There is no one way to be Black. Now, lean into this story and take that with you. And what I love and the messages that I get all the time are from Black people saying, bro, I cannot tell you the last time I read or listened to a story where I felt so seen because it wasn't just one thing about who we are, you know? So that message got across a lot. And then the overall message that I was hoping, and I'm hoping that everyone gets, which they do, is because of the title, um, most people, when they open up the first page, they aren't ready to be impacted the way that they are by the time they close the book. And because I get so, so, so intimate about my parents, I get intimate about my family, my my relationship with God, my issues and struggles with sin and like where those places took me and my my issues that I've had with the church and how I've reconciled those. So I you know the the book goes deep and I, you know I'll have people that'll hit me up on Instagram in the middle of the book and they'll be like, I was not ready for this. I was like, I, I'm sorry that I didn't tell you how intimate it was going to get, but welcome to the book. And by the time they close it, um, they are saying, I feel like I have found a new way to love. I have found forgiveness for myself. Um, I feel like you've recognized the calling that I have in my life that I need to step back into. And I feel like I need to see people um, truly, truly see people for who they are. And I never anticipated that all of that would come out of a singular book that has Tupac's name on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> but it ends up being a deep, deep dive. And the thing that I hear the most, which is so beautiful, is how people feel like they are changed mm. after they read the book. And mm. that's, I mean, can you ask for anything more? Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I think, um, did you get nervous about kind of the level of vulnerability and the oh, level Nikki, of transparency? Nikki, Nikki, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> 
Ooh. Oh, well, man. Well, we'll we'll say this. When any time one of the Christian, like, uh, evangelical or anybody nominates my book for something, it boggles my mind. Like, like I want to be like, did you read this? Like, did you you read my book? Because you have me, like, nominated next to a book called, like, Jesus and All of His Glory. And, Uh and, And I'm like, did you? Did you read what I said? You know, because there's parts in the book where I'll have people immediately after they're done, they'll say, how do your parents feel about this book? Uh uh And I'm like, they're great because they were mentioned in it. And they're like, no, 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 no. I'm talking about all the stuff that you said that you've done in your life and how you've affected women and how you what, what happened when you were working in church. Like I had a friend um, write to me one time and said, hey, my friend has read your book. And she said that she feels like she doesn't know any of her friends as much as she knows you now. And she feels kind of uncomfortable about it, not actually knowing who you are. And so my book came out September 14th last year. And on September 13th, Nikki, I was sitting in this chair thinking to myself, did I do the right thing? Like, like, my my dirty laundry is about to be out in the world. Like, if this book is successful, which it has been, like, everybody's going to know what I've done. But I partner that with um, how it's our struggles, how it's our climbing out of the grave, to me, that is more beautiful now than – you know, I, t- I say it in the book. I'm like, at my age, I'm less concerned about all the awards you've won and what great killer things you've done. I instead want to know how you came out of the depths of darkness. Like, wh- how did you survive through your darkest moment? And so when people see that Jimmy Kimmel's on the cover and he wrote the um, the the uh, foreword and, you know, all of that, they think like it's going to be this book that's just kind of light and fluffy a little bit and maybe talking a little bit about blackness. But instead, it gets super deep about faith, like really, really deep about Jesus and uh, using Jesus's name. In fact, the seventh chapter is called something to the effect of, I was doing perfectly fine, and then damn it, here comes Jesus, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so all of that to say, um, the vulnerability part of this was incredibly scary, Nikki, incredibly scary. But... I've learned that in writing, writing something that scares you um, is the key to really um, affecting the people that are around you. Yeah, no, that's true. I, I mean, I, I wonder if some of your, the transparency, the specificity is actually part of what has helped people who have dramatically different experiences feel seen. And feel heard in, in sort of this strange way, right? Yeah. Like the and uniqueness because, and the specifics of your story. And yeah, you're, you're completely right. Because it's like a, such a, a huge mixture of situations. Like there are some books that are, and I'm not saying anything against them, but there are some books where the entirety of the story is, here's my Jesus situation. Like this is me walking with Jesus, how I found him, this, that, or the other. Or, or here's why I believe in God and the church and like, and that's their whole book. This book, the Jesus piece is a part of it. And then that Jesus piece, like right after the chapter where I talk about how I come to Jesus and like, I have this life changing, impactful moment. 
the very next chapter is called I'm supposed to do what? Like where <laughs> I suddenly am like, wait, wait, now that I'm a Christian, I, wait, what am I supposed to do? And it talks, and it talks about all the struggles and everything that I go through and how <laughs> I, I say this. And I'll tell you now, now that the book has become so well known. There's a part in the book where I talk about how, when I was in high school, I threw uh-huh. out all of my like secular music. Okay. Uh-huh. Back in the day, uh-huh. threw it all out because uh-huh. I was told that that's what I was supposed that's to do right. in this age. That's like right. I didn't know anybody. That's right. Yeah, threw yeah, it yeah, all out. Yeah. Yeah. So here I am as a young black man listening to Sandy Patty, okay, as I drive <laughs> along in my car. And I'm like, you know, listening to another time in another place. And, I, you know, I'm driving along in my car. I look over there's some black dude like, what up, bro? And I'm like, I'm going to turn this down because this is, <laughs> this is my Jesus music I'm listening to. play you me know? some Sandy Patty. The funny part is now Sandy Patty and I are friends and because she <laughs> no. read the book yes. and she posted one day on Instagram about my book. And I was like, what is happening in my life right now that Sandy Patty is <laughs> talking about how I've listened to her as a child. So, man, <laughs> man. Anyways, it's a it's just a um, <laughs> Sandy will be happy to know I talked about her on this podcast, um, but it, it's it's just a. Um, such a wild mixture of who I am as a person. And because the transparency is so strong there, Nikki, you're right. That's what connects people together. And although it doesn't, although it is a Jesus story, it's, it's so, 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 so much more than that. And for your readers, I'll, I'll, I'll be transparent. <clears throat> I cuss in the book. Um, I, I talk about sex in the book. Um, I talk about homosexuality in the book as far as my experience with all of my gay and lesbian friends. Um, so there's a there's a lot in there that is definitely not your Max Licato reading. <laughs> not putting this you know. one on the coffee table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's a it's a good time. It's a good time. Uh, well, Tyler Merritt, actor, author, and activist, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate the way that you have shared this extraordinary journey that you had but you've asked all of the questions that people are too scared to ask out loud. So thanks for the transparency and sharing your journey with us. Nikki, let me say this really, you really quick before we go. Listen, um, (sighs) I cannot thank you enough Hmm. for what you and your team are doing with giving Christians the opportunity to be a part of social justice in a way Hmm. that, um, is meaningful, that is mm. honest, giving people that want to have um, the chance to do something, the opportunity to learn, grow, and stretch. Mm. And I hope this doesn't offend anybody on your podcast, but sadly, oftentimes Christianity, especially now, mm-hmm. the word Christianity mm-hmm. ends up feeling synonymous with racism, Yeah, especially in America right that's, now. That's true. And again, I mean, no, no, um, I don't mean to be mean when I say that, but um, in the world, because I work in social justice, as soon as someone comes along and goes, I'm a Christian, suddenly all of the assumptions come along with them. That's right. And sadly, oftentimes those assumptions are correct. Yeah, that's right. And then in the midst of that, you have to find, so who are the people that are willing to acknowledge their privilege? Who are those people that are, are, are willing to acknowledge that there is still something to fight for. And the fact that you are creating a community to do that is not only beautiful, 
um, and brave, but it's also, it feels like God. So thank you for that. Thank you, Tyler. That's beautiful. Thank you. Twenty Minute Takes is a production of Christians for Social Action. We're produced and edited by David DeLeon. I'm your host, Nikki Toyamasito, and the music is done by Andre Henry. You can find us on the web at ChristiansforSocialAction.org. Give us five stars, write a review, and share about the podcast with your friends. Thank you.